Well, hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson podcast. My name is Parker. I serve as the lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. This is a continuation of our series to the book of 1 Peter, Living Hope, from a message from chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 on the Word of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. Thank you all so much again. Praise team, you do a great job. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on, turn them to First uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 22 through 25. We're going to continue our series uh, through the epistle of First Peter, and um, last week we looked at 17 through 21, looked at this notion of holiness and living in the fear of the Lord, living in true fear of the Lord. We said that fear uh, comes through knowing. Uh, fear comes through knowing, knowing namely, uh, that true fear is knowing that the one who could condemn us is the one who paid our fine for us. And that culminates not just in awe or reverence, but continues to true worship. And ultimately, we find our faith, all of our faith, all of our hope uh, rest in the Lord. So we're going to continue this morning uh, in First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 uh, through 25. We're going to camp out here for a couple of weeks uh, and I'll explain why later. There's a lot going on in this text, a lot of uh, mystery going on in this text, some things that are kind of hard to nail down. Uh, but we'll read it, and we'll pray, and then we will bring uh, some points in application. First Peter 1, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, as always, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, as we'll unpack in just a moment, God, your word is spirit. And your spirit is at work when we read your word and bring exhortation from your word. So, Father, I pray that your son would be exalted above all things in this text. We would see Jesus. And that by your spirit, you would help us to receive your word, to obey your word, and to apply your word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As mentioned on several occasions that Peter continues to go back and forth, back and forth between, help me out, imperative and indicative right? He talked about this imperative, indicative. In other words, the command and the motivation. He continues to keep going back and forth. Imperative, indicative. Command, motivation. And as you read your Bible, you'll need to learn to watch for this. You'll need to learn to watch for commands that are given, but also the motivations that are given as well, because the Bible's filled with it. And it's filled with it because Scripture does not want us to fall into legalism and act like all we have to do is keep the law and we're good, 
and have no motivation for that. We'll fall into legalism, nor does it want us to fall into the other spectrum of that, namely antinomianism, and act like the law doesn't matter. Both are true. Both we need to follow those commands and be filled with the motivations to follow out those commands, imperative and indicatives. And Peter really brings this out in, in, in his first chapter of his epistle, chapter one of First Peter. He says things like, know that you are elect exiles. And because you know it, set your hope on things that are above, the imperative and indicative. He would say things like, be holy. There's the command knowing that you were redeemed. So there's the motivation, you were redeemed, so be holy. He would say things like, live in fear. Well, why should we do that? Knowing that your father is both judge and savior. It brings about this idea that the gospel brings responsibility and fruit that should result from our new birth in Christ. And in this passage as well, Peter continues this pattern in chapter two, this imperative indicative. Because you have been born again, through the word of God, obey it. Indicative, imperative. Because this has happened, there's the motivation, now do it, obey the truth. Love one another. And because, here's the motivation again, because the word endures forever, he comes down in verse 24 and 25, continue to grow and forsake sinfulness. So he starts in chapter two, does he not? In this way, put away all malice and deceit. There's imperative, indicative, imperative, indicative. And so I want us to spend some time this morning dealing with what Peter brings to our attention about the word of God. And I'm gonna spend the next two weeks on this. And so we'll talk about this week and next week. We're gonna unpack this truth. And then following up with that, we will go work through the implications that Peter brings about, namely to love one another, put away all malice and deceit, and those types of things that he speaks of. There's a lot here. There's a lot of mystery that's here. And the best we can, I want us to walk through this text and walk through it and see what Peter has to say. Note that in the text and why it's important, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now, at face value, if we were to read that, we may deduce, and some try to do this, that, that salvation, we may claim, is a work of our effort. So, they might say, in other words, we are purifying our souls, and they might use First Peter to do this, we're purifying our souls by obedience. But if you know the imperative indicative, you know that that's not what Peter is teaching. That would be legalism. Peter doesn't want us to fall into legalism. We need to understand how Peter is arguing. And if we followed into legalism, we'd be going down a wrong path. We know that that's not what Peter is teaching because of what Peter has already brought to our attention as well. He commands us to do something, namely because we know something is true. And we spent our time last week dealing about what we know to be true, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, right? You've been saved, you've been saved. And now Peter comes to say, now that you have been saved, having purified your soul. So Peter isn't saying that you're purifying your soul as a way of saying, this is your works righteousness. He's not saying this is the way of salvation for you, rather, but righteousness follows true redemption. If you have been saved, Fruit will follow that. A pure life will follow that. The redemption and receiving of the grace of God. And further emphasize here, note this, I think this is the burden of the text and where we'll kind of launch from here. There is a right response to truth. 
when we see it. There is a right response to the truth. And Peter makes that very clear. It's the obedience, that we obey the truth. Peter is concerned with obedience to the truth, not rebelling from it. And the obedience in some way our continued response, right, our continued response, having, conti- having been purified, is in some way our response to the work of Christ, our continued sanctification. Peter is echoing here what Jesus would pray in the high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, namely, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. And Peter, I think, is unpacking that. Peter turns his focus Consequently, to what? The word of God. That is where he begins to to channel his argument. Because truth, purifying your soul by the obedience of truth, Peter says, where will I go from here? I must go to the word of God. And that's where Peter's line of argument goes. And that's where our line of argument will go as well. Point number one, that the word of God brings about new birth. It's very clear from Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, since you have been born again. It's interesting that Peter has said in the past about us being born again. He says in 1 Peter 3, blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now... He says, since this is true, you have been born again. In other words, the spiritual nature of your new birth, like I was saying before, brings forth implications with how that you will live your life. There is a spiritual life that will follow. And you have been born again. And this birth, verse 23, is, watch this, here it is, through the word of God. The living and abiding word. What's the point? The point is that God is actively at work through the ministry of his word. It is living and active. What does that mean? And we'll spend the next week, this week included and next week, dealing with that. Because it gets us into a discussion, and this is a loaded statement, It gets us into a discussion about how God moves through his spirit-infused or inspired, Christ-centered, God-exalting word. And I know that was a a loaded statement, so I'm going to say it again. It puts us in a discussion about how God moves through his spirit-infused, and I wanted to tweak that word a little bit, and I'll explain why, and I'm changing it to inspired, his spirit-inspired Christ-centered, God-exalting word. And I landed on the word infused because of the after effect of it. What I don't mean by infused is that there was like a steak that you're gonna marinate, and there's a steak, and I'm gonna infuse it with something, so I'm gonna bring something and put it into. So it wasn't like the word was there and God infused it in that way. Does that make sense? He didn't do that. Instead, I'm mainly talking about the after effect. When the steak has been sitting and marinated, you cannot pick that thing up without it just dripping the substance that's there. That's what I meant by infused. And so I changed it. I think I changed that word. I think inspired 
is a good way to say it, but understand what I'm getting at. You cannot separate the Spirit of God moving through the Word of God and the exaltation of Christ and God's Word coming in power. Because when God speaks in Scripture, does he not? God speaks in Scripture and power comes from his Word. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was with void and without form, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And God said, let there be light. And from the mouth of God, there light. He spoke it into existence. From a word of his power, he speaks and brings forth light and life. One of my favorite passages is found in Ezekiel 37. You might want to turn there. And this was in my master's course at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. This was my final exegetical paper. And all that stood between me and my diploma was an exegetical paper on Ezekiel 37. And I joked and would say time and time again that semester, all that's keeping me from graduating is the abyss between me and this valley of dry bones. And if I can just get through this valley of dry bones, then I can get my diploma. And if you know the story in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel sees a vision from the Lord concerning the people of Israel. And it's really an odd scene to say the least. It's this valley and it's filled with dry bones. And the Lord brings Ezekiel from his mountaintop experience down into the valley. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, let's go for a little walk. And in Ezekiel's vision, he goes and he walks around into this valley and he sees these dry, dead bones in this valley. In Ezekiel 37, verse 1 through 5, he explains that. He says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. Ezekiel, let's go for a little walk. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live Ezekiel, can these dry, dead, decaying away bones live? And Ezekiel says, oh Lord, you know. What a statement by Ezekiel. What a statement that he made there. Because if I were him, I would have said a resounding no. Of course not, these bones cannot live. And maybe you as a reader comes in your head, you're tempted to answer for Ezekiel. No, they can't live. But what a statement Ezekiel makes. And what a word of truth from his response. Oh Lord, you know. And in response to God, what is Ezekiel getting at? In a normal circumstance, there's not a chance. In a normal scientific understanding of things, it's not going to happen in a million years. But I know who I'm talking to. I know who's talking right now. And it's pretty clear, I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But Lord, you know if these bones can live. Verse 4 and 5. Watch this. Then he said to me, prophesy. 
over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these dry bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. He continues in verse seven through 10. He saw these bones, this flesh, this sinew starts coming upon them, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Verse nine, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slains that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded and breath came into them and they lived and stood to their feet an exceedingly great army. And from the mouth of God comes life giving power through the proclamation of his word through the prophet. And it is through his spirit that God breathes into these dead, dark, dry bones and he gives to them life. And what's happening in Ezekiel 37 is explained in a previous chapter in Ezekiel 36 concerning the people of Israel that God is concerned with his name being defiled among the nations that his people have forsaken his covenant. They were to carry out his glory to all nations instead of worshiping him and seeing the nations come and worship him. Instead, they profaned his name among the nation. And God says, I'm about to act on behalf of dead, lifeless Israel. I'm about to act on their behalf. But it is not for their sake that I'm going to act. It's for my own name's sake that I'm going to act. Look what he says in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27. Drawing closer, some implications for us. And I will give to you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey my rules. And then into Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And life comes when they hear his word. Is this not the nature of our new birth in Christ as well? This is the nature of our new birth in Christ. That our old heart, our old nature is done away with. And can these bones live? Can this dead, descend, decaying corpse of my flesh, can it live? Not unless the Lord speaks. Not unless the Lord moves. And through his breath, through his spirit, breathing life into me, he makes me a new creature through his word, and he gives to us life. This is Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens are made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers 
the waters of the sea as a heap and puts them into deep storehouses. Let all the earth here fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. By a word of the Lord, these things happened. And isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16 would say that all scripture is breathed out by God. It is God breathed. It is God inspired. It is God speaking and giving forth life. And just a teaser and note briefly in the connections, the word of God and the spirit of God, that's, that's the tension. It's not really a tension, but that's, that's what we're trying to wrap our head around. I can't fully wrap my head around it. Spirit of God and the word of God, I'll unpack it more in more detail next week. But listen to what Jesus said in John 6. He said, it is the spirit who gives life for the flesh is of no help at all. Watch what Jesus says. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you that do not believe. The word is spirit. And the spirit is actively at work through his word. You see another comparison. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 and Colossians 3, 16. I'm gonna read them to you. I think they're gonna come up on the screen. I want you to note the, the subtle difference that the Apostle Paul makes here. And we're gonna draw this out for just a moment. We gotta keep moving on. He said, but do not get drunk on wine, which that is debauchery. So this is Ephesians 5. But be filled with the Spirit. Now watch what comes after this. Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Note the similarities in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Note what follows. Teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Two churches, almost identical exhortation. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. What happens when those things happen? We sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness. God is at work through His Word, and it brings forth new birth through His Spirit-inspired, Christ-centered, exalting Word. Evangelism explosion or other evangelistic frameworks. Maybe it's the Romans road. All of it usually culminates with a quotation from scripture and their presentation or conversations from Romans 10. You can flip there and look at it. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes and amen. He continues, watch what he does. And how will they call on him if they have not believed? And how will they believe in him and who they have not heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? How will they preach unless they were sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but not all have obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what they had heard from us? Note verse 17, finish this statement. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. I think this is what Peter is getting at here. Having purified your soul by the obedience of truth and a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not a perishable seed, but an imperishable through the living and abiding word. He's building his argument. He's working towards what we're gonna work towards for next week, this living and abiding word But note the language of seed. He says there's a perishable and imperishable. We've seen this language before. He said that you were redeemed last week, not from perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. It's verse 18. He says in verse 7, and your faith, your genuine faith, more precious than gold that perishes. There it is again. He's mentioned this language before, perishable, imperishable. And language of seed is the language of offspring. It means to impart meaning of who you descend from. And it's tied, here in this text, it's tied with the notion of being born again. Note the language. You are born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. So the seed is connected to New birth. The seed is connected to being born again. God begets his children through the seed of his word. Yet, his begetting is not temporal, it is instead everlasting. It isn't perishing, it's imperishable. That's why he goes into Isaiah 40 for the word of the Lord remains forever. This is a new birth that will continue forever. Unlike your physical birth here, your mother beget you, that will end when you pass away, when life is no longer in you. But this birth, this heavenly birth, continues forever. Not born of perishable things or earthly things, but an imperishable birth that lasts forever. It's interesting This is biblical theology here at work. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent through the scripture. And what I mean by that is in Genesis 3, you have a promise that was given. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And you have these two seeds, if you look at it through the scripture, you can see it playing itself out all throughout the biblical text. But Genesis 3 And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent from that moment are at continual odds throughout the biblical narrative. 
seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. And you see it in different pockets throughout the scripture. You see it real quickly right off the bat with Cain and Abel. One who pleased God and one who displeased him. And Abel, who pleased the Lord, was slain by the one who displeased him. The seed of the woman, seed of the serpent, being at odds with one another. The escalation continues all throughout the story of the scripture. And we see a glimpse of that in John chapter 8, when Jesus says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He is a murderer from the beginning. There's notions of, yes, he's pulling back to Abraham in that moment, but even further pulling back to Cain, where Cain killed his brother, Abel. He was a murderer from the beginning. This is the seed of the serpent at work. This isn't to say that Cain would be the forefather of Satan. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying that there is a character flaw in this Cain. And he is exemplifying types and ways of which that a serpent or the adversary would live. He is characterizing his way of life. The seed of the serpent. You see the conflict again, seed of the woman, seed of the serpent, with Isaac and Ishmael as well. The enmity between the seeds. One is given the seed of promise, and the other one, a failure to belief. You see it again with the people of Israel and Egypt. This back and forth. Note, note, note what the controversy is about. Ultimately, a firstborn son. And there's this back and forth. I will take your firstborn son. I will take your firstborn son. And this is back and forth. In Exodus, 20, Exodus 4, 23, the Lord says, Now I say to you, send my son that he may serve me. But if you refuse to send him, behold, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. He continues. All throughout the Bible, the true, the seed of the serpent, seed of the woman. Seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. Until the true seed of the woman comes namely Jesus Christ, but note he is also the only eternal begotten of his father as well. He is what? Fully man and fully God. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the son of God and the son of man. And through Christ, the true seed of the woman, true seed crushes the serpent, and the seed of the serpent, the adversary. It is through Christ that this fulfillment, the seed of the woman, seed of the serpent, is interplayed all throughout the scriptures, all these different actions displaying who they belong to. It's God's seed begetting the children. First John 3, flip there. Watch what John says. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, so there's characteristics, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Watch this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Because God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. By this, it is evident. What's it evident of? 
Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see the seed and begetting there? Who you belong to? Showing whose it is you are. And Peter is saying the same thing. Know who your father is. Know who you are. You have been born again. You've been born from above, not with perishable things, but through Christ, through the word of God. Since you've been born again, not with perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word. Point number two. The word of God is good news, is good news. Verse 25b, and let the word, and let this word is the good news that is preached to you. It is this word that brought about new birth. It is living and active, and it remains forever, and it is the good news that is preached to you. It is the faith that was delivered once and all to the saints. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Note what Christ said about the scriptures in John 5, 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, yet it is they that bear witness about me. And when Jesus meets his disciples on the road to Emmaus and he walks with them, but they're kept from recognizing him and they were talking about all the things that had recently taken place, the culmination of the life, death, and burial of Jesus. And they were saddened because they had not seen the resurrected Lord. They'd only heard rumors of an empty tomb at that point. And in Luke 24, Jesus said to them, he says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Watch this, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And there's much that can be said about this word. And we're gonna continue to unpack its truth precept by precept, line by line. And we're gonna look further into this next week, but know this, the scripture is held together by one scarlet thread that is woven throughout the entire scripture, and it bears witness of Jesus Christ. Both the Old and the New Testament are the unfolding of God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to himself, and that's why Peter alludes to the Old Testament in the way that he does and states that the word of God endures forever, but he does not stop in the Old Testament. He continues and says not only the Old Testament illusion, but this New Testament reality found in Christ, this good news, this unfolding of God's plan was preached to you as well. Peter quoting from Isaiah 40, speaking contextually of Isaiah 40, the good news would be that Zion and Jerusalem is that God would continue and fulfill his promises that he made to Israel. And all of those promises find their yes and amen through Christ. And that's why Peter says this is the good news that is preached. The culmination of all that God is doing has now been manifest and has been preaching to you Gentiles. God had a plan for the fullness of time and he made a promise to Abraham that through his offspring all the nations shall be blessed in, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And all the nations include not only Jews but also Gentiles. And Gentiles, this good news is being preached to you now. 
This is the fulfillment of what God has started and what God said he would finish and what God said he would do. And it is through Christ that we are considered his offspring. And just as Abraham believed God, Galatians 3.29, we too and our belief in God are counted to him as righteousness. And it is through the preaching of the good news, his word, the exaltation of Christ, looking to him and him alone for salvation that we are saved. This word, this spirit-filled, God-breathed, Christ-centered, exalting word. I know how we need it. Because we can look around at creation and we can deduce a lot of things Maybe even conclude that God or a superpower at this point, whoever he is, right? He may be loving and kind and good. He's beautiful, right? Just look at creation. He's beautiful. But we would never come to know that maker as he truly is. We would never come to really know him in his fullness, that he's not only loving and kind and merciful, he's also just. And he's also the redeemer of sinful humanity. And he did it through the crushing of his son. We know that through his word because he has revealed it to us. In both the Old and the New Testament, this word remains forever. And Peter says, this is the good news. The Old and the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul would say, all scripture is breathed out by God. And when the apostles and prophets were writing, they were divinely inspired to put to ink the very word of God. And it is through this word, through his word, God speaks to us, brings life to us. His spirit works within us, opens our eyes to see the gospel of Jesus Christ, softens our hearts towards repentance and faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I think this is what John was getting out in his prologue of his gospel. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not a thing was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet they did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among him. This is good news. This all-powerful, God-breathing, all-satisfying, life-sustaining, giving life to dead corpse, life-giving word of God became flesh. 
and dwelt among us. He experienced all the brokenness and sinfulness of this world and lived the life we couldn't and was hated for it and was put to death by sinful man and died a death in our place, risen to life by the power of God. This word, this Jesus, this is good news that is preached to you. And personally, as I study this text, it brings about my own repentance as a preacher. I work really hard, pour over a text for a number of hours. I preached hard, I preached text-driven. I pour my heart and my soul over preaching. I go home drained every Sunday. The best part about Sunday besides preaching is my nap. I'm tired after this. And you're thinking, yeah, because you just stand up there and yell all the time. And I do it because I know it's at stake. Eternity's laying in the balance. And I'm not so naive to think that every person listening, even in here or on live stream, doesn't need to hear it. And I always see myself as a broken man preaching to broken men and women. And the same gospel I preach is the same gospel I need every single day. And when I preach this text, I know I'm ready to preach it. I'm not ready to preach it until I've been moved by the text myself. And I'll say that. And realizing in preparing this sermon, I was hit hard with the reality that this book is a miracle. It is a miracle. And page after page after page, you have God speaking to us. Breathing life into his people. And how arrogant and foolish and all the other words you want to put to describe it, that I would go a day without opening up this book and receiving the life-giving substance of the word of God for my soul. And along those lines, how foolish I am to think that regardless how I preach, regardless how earnestly I implore you, that it's up to me. I can preach as hard as I want, so hard that I may even be tempted to believe that something is up to me to happen, but it's not. And for that, I repent for even thinking that way. It is the Spirit who gives life. And the flesh... My flesh, your flesh, or anybody else's flesh, for that all, is of no help at all. And then thirdly, I offer up a warning. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Galatia. He rebukes them from turning away from Christ. Again, we'll unpack this more, that this word, this gospel... This word is not something that you get to move beyond in your Christian life, but it is your lifeblood, Christian. The gospel is, will keep you and sustain you for all your life. You don't get to move beyond this gospel. And when we do, serious and severe things happen as it did with the church in Galatia as well. I'm astonished that you so quickly deserted him who called you to the grace of Christ 
and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different one. But that some who are troubled to you want to distort the gospel of Christ. Even if an angel or if we came to preach a gospel that is contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now we say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you receive, let him be accursed. Galatians 3, oh foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me only ask only of this, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, so are you now being perfected by the flesh? And know how Paul concludes his warning to the church at Galatia. I said at the beginning of this message, the mark of a purified soul responds appropriately to the truth. And that appropriate response is our obedience. Galatians 5, verse 7. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And they were hindered because they shifted away from the Spirit's work. And they shifted away from the person and work of Jesus Christ alone for salvation and they thought they could do it in their own strength. And that's dangerous, folks. And that's precisely the warning that the book of Hebrews gives to us. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So I end with that warning. And all of God's people glad that I broke this message into two parts. for a time of reflection of your walk with Christ. And be a great way of reflecting not only on this text, but also leading us into next week about the living and abiding word of God. Is your life marked by obedience and conformity to the word of God? Have you been born again? What was the gospel that was preached to you? Was it one in accordance with his word? Or was it one of easy believism, void of repentance, void of cross-bearing? Was it in accordance with the scripture? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you keeping with that gospel? Has God brought about new birth, breathed life into your dead soul and through the power of his gospel and through his word brought you to life? You need to repent of your complacency towards the scripture or respond to the word this morning. Let's pray together. Well, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. If you'd like more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com, or you can search us on Facebook by searching Grace Point Church Henderson. If you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we do invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10:15 a.m. And for all of our listeners, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast.